You are listening to episode 262 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name is John, and I'm joined by Brian. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we got to be smart as a fox in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So this week we are playing Tunic on Yay. the Nintendo Switch. I've been waiting for you to play this one, John. Yeah, actually, like now that I'm playing it a little bit, I was You're telling my stop. Yeah, I was telling my wife before I was coming in to record. I'm like, mm, I kind of want to keep playing this. Yeah, yeah, it's it's solid. So we'll talk about that here at the end of the podcast episode. Uh, but first, we'll go ahead and talk about where you can find us. So find us on thegamedeflators.com, our currently out-of-date website. Uh, you can find us on social media at Game Deflators on X, at The Game Deflators on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads with our like two posts on Threads. Uh, YouTube as well. Search up The Game Deflators on there to find old podcast episodes and some videos when we have them. And you're listening to a podcast app right now. Go ahead and leave us a five-star review. And uh, thanks for listening. Yeah. All right diving into our pickups it was black friday ryan and i will say it was a black friday as far as what was actually available for games i mean there were some good stuff uh things that i had my eye on for a while but nothing that really kind of stuck out to me as like a deal you know like there were games i saw but i was like oh yeah that's a game i've been wanting i'm like wait a second it's the same price it was three months ago (laughs) you know on sale yeah so like am I really getting a deal right now? And the answer was no, like nine times out of 10, all the games I was looking at, I was like, no, it's not worth me paying $35 for this game. That's been 60, 70 bucks because it was literally just $35 not too long ago. Or target, for example, has had like a buy two, get one free sale or buy one, get one. Um, same thing with GameStop. GameStop had their buy two, get one free deal. They've had those multiple times through the year. And then they had like the 50% off new type, like select titles. They've done that multiple times this year. So like there wasn't anything that really like stuck out to me as like a must have situation that would say, hey, John, you need to spend 60, 90, 100 bucks, whatever it is on these select titles that are going to sit on your shelf for months on end. Like you might as well just wait until they're 10 bucks a pop type of deal, you know, or you can get them even cheaper locally. Um, so I did not pick up any video games. I, I did at one point, I will say I had um vgp i think is what's called a canadian company at reprint stuff they had you know a 50 percent off sale and it's all canadian dollars um on there and overall like it was decent games but there was and we'll get into in our discussion topic there's nothing that like really captivated me as like a must-have there was a couple titles price-wise i'm like hey this could work but it, again, it kind of came back to like, do I, am I going to play this? Am I going to play it anytime soon? Is it worth me picking up now? And the answer every time was no. So I did pick up magic cards though, because yeah. that's what I do. And uh, I have built out their Black Friday magic card sales. Uh, TCG did like a 10% store credit deal. When you purchase cards, you would get the credit back. But I missed out on that. And it wouldn't matter anyways. It was like, I would have got like $8 or something when it was all said and done. Um, so yeah, overall, I ended up getting everything I needed for a blue-white control deck because I feel like that's going to be the meta moving forward. Um, or top of the meta is like blue-white control and blue-black-white um, mid-range or control uh, for those. And and I think that's kind of proven in like what I've been playing online versus what 
you know, I'm playing against. Um, it's all like control decks or cards that are just consistently um, destroying things that are hitting the field. Like there's, so basically what I'm going to be doing is playing a mill deck is what I'm going to do moving forward for the meta. Um, that to me is going to work best uh, for standard, just given like where control currently is. Take away all their tools. Yeah, what people are playing for mid range. Like there's enough control cards of like white and blue that I should be able to do enough board wipes, destroy lands, mill them out, that type of stuff. So I bought the things I needed from the white cards to be able to build out my blue white deck. And then I have multiple options. So if I want to do mill, I could do mill. If I wanted to do just like blue white standard control, I could just do standard control and have some creatures here and there. I've got enough stuff to build uh, black blue dredge. I've got stuff to build white green poison uh, with control. So there's a lot of options I have to uh, to my disposal right now. How well um, does the uh, like descend pair against like a mill deck? You mean like the discover thing or descend? Oh, descend as in like your graveyard. Um, basically like that's a big mechanic and you're like giving them that permanence in their grave well except in my sideboard i picked up i think it's a two drop that when he hits the field you exile the opponent's graveyard okay yeah so like i have some things in there specifically for dredge um or descend mechanic but i do know like the guys i play with at that at the particular store i go to um they actually none of them play anything with descend mechanics Mm. they play discover mechanics but they don't play descend mechanics uh so yeah that's where that's where i'm at right now with it and i'm pretty excited to see what i what i can build out of this and uh so i did actually finish my red black rat deck which did not perform that great so a few of us actually came out there wasn't enough to really like start a tournament per se uh, there's a couple old guys that come in and then myself and one other person and the two older guys, like a dad and um, and his son. And the dad's like 80, by the way. And he straight up has been collecting magic for years and years and years. He sold his collection multiple times over the years. That's the um, worst. We all do that at least yeah, right. times. He said most re- like his most recent collection he had sold for like $85,000. I'm like, ouch. Like, he's had lotuses and stuff in the past, he said. so Not getting those back. Uh, I mean, the guy's got like he spends all of his money now. Like whenever a new set comes out, he literally buys cases to get everything he needs to be able to play. And so he figures when he dies, he'll just all his cards go to his son. That's kind of where it's at. And his son's like 55, 60 years old, I think. So he's not a young guy either. So they just come in and play and they will not play if it's uh, anything less than five people. Like they won't play a tournament. So we end up playing like some two headed giant and, um, you know, my deck didn't perform that great. The red black, it just because of everything else, it's new in the meta. So ultimately just decided eh, it's not worth playing that. It'll be good for casual play at a table to have some fun with friends, uh, but definitely not tournament worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that uh, in terms of pickups for magic cards. And then uh, I did get a new phone as well. So I'm waiting for that to come in uh, to Best Buy so I can go pick that up. So, yep. Nice. That's it on my end. How about uh did you talk about what you've been playing uh you know what i did not so i guess <laughs> let me uh i was gonna pass it to you to talk about pickups but i see you don't have any yeah <laughs> um so we started playing mario wonder and you know i i don't know how i feel about it right now yeah you got the mixies yeah i'm a little mixed on it like to me it i was hoping like there's a lot of color and there's a lot of like interesting things like the seeds that come up 
But I don't know. It's just not pulling me in like some of the prior Mario games right now. Really? Like, yeah, it's just something about it. It's not like, I don't know. Like I sit back and I, maybe it's because I've been sick for a couple weeks now and dealing with this like after effects of crap. Um, and I'm just not like 100% in the mood to play it. Is that this like a part. 2D, 3D thing? Like I know you are a big uh, 2D platformer, but I mean specifically for Mario, do you like prefer 3D Mario to 2D at this point? uh i don't know maybe i think you know what it is is like i'm following this up after last of us part two and <laughs> huge swing of emotions so yeah kind of right because i already beat last of us part two anyways but like the type of gameplay that i just experienced with last of us part two and graphically where it's at in comparison to a 2d mario story-wise where that is at like it almost makes me want to play another game that's similar like very much engrossed in story to a third person view, you know, either shooting or slashing, whatever it may have be. Have you played like, Ragnarok? Uh, I have not, not yet. And I do need to, and it was on sale, but I'm going to hold off on that one. Um, similar like Horizon Zero Dawn, like or Horizon Forbidden West, like that was on sale, but they just released a complete edition. So mm -hmm. I'm going to wait for that one to go down. Um, yeah, I mean, like, those are types of games I want to play right now. And so, yeah, I popped in Mario Wonder. I'm like, okay, yeah, let's play this. It's Mario. We'll have some fun with it. And I don't know. Like, right now, it's just not pulling me in. There's just, like, it feels like there's something missing to it for whatever reason. Like, it's just, I don't know if it's the challenge component because it isn't very challenging at all. Um, or if it's just, like, you know, it's another Mario game type of thing. Yeah. It's, it's just not oh. really doing it right now. I've got something you could do halfway. Have you guys done Uncharted? Yeah, I've beat them multiple times, and my wife has played, I think, the first two, and or first two or three. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, we're kind of covered. Halfway between Mario and The Last of Us. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I'm actually thinking I might get the Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Okay. Um, That's the third one out of the remakes, and uh, that'll probably be, like, the next one that we play. I just got to pick it up um because those are very good and that it has like what i'm kind of seeking right now so and... you're gonna go all through mario what's that you're gonna go all the way through mario yeah yeah we'll beat mario we'll go through it but it's not like we're not sitting there like with last of us we were literally sitting there two three hours at a time mm -hmm. playing this right mario we play like maybe five six levels and like okay okay like, let's watch tv type of deal you know so it's not like we're you know just jones in to play mario the whole yeah. time you know, so I don't know. It's just something about it. It's not even Donkey Kong games. Like when I've played some of the more recent Donkey Kong games, like I'm really into them, like in what's happening and and even like the little bit of story progression that's involved with them or the platforming elements. Like it feels like Mario, there's almost too much going on right now. Mm -hmm. Like there's just like the levels just kind of feel smattered. Like there's a level where you hit it and poles come out and you got to follow the different poles um and go up and down them or side to side and and it's just i don't know it just feels like there's a lot going on it doesn't feel like it's platforming to an extent i don't know if that makes sense but it's just you feel like they they threw too much in it's like it's like mario but like with a smattering of like just wacky wario wear stuff where it's just like all yeah. of a sudden you're doing something totally different every five minutes yeah exactly and then like you have the elephant which at this point has served absolutely zero purpose but he's fun not really <laughs> like, i like the i like the bubbles i'll tell you the bubbles are a lot of fun being able to mm -hmm. bounce to different locations and stuff like that type of stuff is fine but 
the elephant's not doing it for me. I haven't gotten the drill Mario yet. Um, you know, so I, I know in what we played, like it's a Mario game and it was fun. It's exciting. It's a, Hey, look, pick it up. Cause it's Mario. It's not going to go down type of thing for me personally. It's just, it's a little too much right now. What, I've what about through. the badges? The badges, I feel like, so here's what I feel about the badges in playing them. The badges are cool to an extent, but you can only use like one at a time, right? And it's very level specific. So if you go to one level and you might need a certain badge, you kind of have to go through and and use that badge to get to a certain area and you might need another one to beat it, basically, right? Like there's certain things that you can't get unless you have certain badges. And so far the badges I've picked up, I feel like they're things that should already be on Mario, like one of them is like, oh, you can double jump a wall twice. Okay, why can't I just do that? You know, oh, well, you can uh, do a longer jump where you flutter kick like Yoshi. Okay, why can't we just do that? You know, like, why do we need a badge to do those specific things of Mario? You know, it just it, to me, it doesn't make sense, the badge system and why it's even there. Like, just make it abilities. Like, once you get it, you can do those things. Because the badges aren't anything special so far from what I've gotten. Now, I am only in like the second world, so things could change. My opinion on this might change in a few weeks. Um, but as of right now, it is a little bit much. It does feel a little lackluster going through it. I would still say, is it worth the $60 pickup? Yeah. I mean, if you like Mario, it's not going to go down in price anytime soon. It just came out. So if you like Mario, pick it up and play it. You know, it's Mario. But yeah. to me, it just feels like it's a little much. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but we'll see. My opinion, like I said, my opinion might change here pretty soon. Um, and then the other thing I'm playing is Tales of Symphonia. Uh, so I got past the forest. I went back to the town, and I'm remembering names now. So you got Lloyd and Colette, right? Um, yeah. So you got all that, and then the, and the design. So there's all of that that I'm remembering now. Um, but yeah, so I just went to the town, and they're like, you know, hey, you just missed Colette. Or no, I went to the dad first, and then we had the whole situation there. We got the, like, key crest deal that's supposed to help yeah. with something. I don't remember offhand what it is. Um, but yeah, we did all of that. And then, what's that? It'll be important. Don't worry. Yeah, I figured it will be. Uh, but then we went back to town, and then uh, the designs uh, started burning the town down. And so did a little bit of battling in there, saved, and then that's where I'm at. So... Little so bit you of probably think another like twenty minutes. <laughs> uh, pro. I I think I'm about an hour and a half, maybe two hours into the game. Yeah, roughly. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's just how it is, man. Like I'm just and like I said, I've been sick. I'm not even been sick. Now I'm just fighting off a yeah. sinus infection. All that's coming with that. So I'm just wiped. So like by the time, you know, I'm ready to sit down, play some games. I just start falling asleep and I'm tired. And it's just when you're blowing your nose and coughing crap up all day for the last like three weeks, it's just, or two weeks, whatever it is, it's just rough. Like it just sucks. Yeah. So it's hard to like, it's hard to sit back and concentrate. Like even right now I'm dehydrated from all of the blowing dude. It's Mm -hmm. so bad. Um, so yeah, that's where we are with that. And then, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, I beat last was part two. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, What's funny is like after we beat it, my wife looks at me and she's like, you know, I kind of wish Ellie would have died. And like when you really think about that story, like, yeah, people are pissed off because Joel died and everything else. But when you really think about it, like who was in the wrong there? It was Joel and Ellie that were in the wrong in the entirety of that story. You know, Abby was 100% justified in what she does in the game. Now, is the character like a likable character? Honestly, playing it a second time around, yeah, 
actually. I really do like Abby the second time around um, in comparison to Ellie. I think Ellie is like a little self-entitled brat at the end of the day. Like that's what she's painted out to be. And the whole thing of like letting Abby live at the end and Abby going off and then Ellie coming back and, you know, she's left alone and all that because of what she's done. Yeah, like I, I totally get it now and I get what Naughty Dog was doing and I actually really like it when it was all said and done. Yeah, but now they leave it open so they can make a one where she's the Joel. Old Ellie. Maybe. Or you follow Lev and Abby and you play a third game as just them and your goal is to find the Fireflies. I don't think so because like the story is about Ellie. She's the main character of the series. Well, I mean, arguably half of the and game like is Ellie and her like, you know, she made choices and like her differentiating with like Joel and like seeing her old versus him old. I was just watching somebody else talk about Last of Us the other day. It mm-hmm. made me think about you talk about it. I mean, I've never even played most of the first game, let alone the second game. So sounds like new games resolution. No, no, I don't like that <laughs> game. I, I tried to go back and play it. I just I it's not for me. I don't really like the feel of it. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, really, end of the day, I think that if they are going to do a third one, will they have Ellie involved in some capacity? Maybe. Should it be Lev and Abby? 100%. Okay. Like, I I would really like to see how that story continues. I feel like Ellie's story is done, right? Like, she ended up alone. She pushed everybody away because of this whole, like, you know, idea of revenge and revenge ends up getting her nowhere except losing everything that she holds dear. And and that's kind of it, right? Like another thing that I've heard, like another interesting theory is that like, um, like they continue it where Abby is trying to, you know, rescue Ellie because Ellie has decided that she does want to sacrifice herself for a cure. And you're trying to like find somebody to kind of figure out the cure and Ellie's in danger and you're playing as Abby to try and rescue Ellie. Like that would also be an interesting That's approach just, too. Yeah. I don't uh, know. I, I think it, of that. I, I would love to see something like that happen, but it is what it is. They I just want to see season two of the HBO show. Yeah, that's true. I want to see that as well. And actually I'd be interested to see if they like try and do like a third season without any sort of game and how that would look. Interesting. Yeah. All right. How about yourself? Uh, so this week I actually played a little bit of Mario Kart. Um, I watched this guy on YouTube, Arlo. He's really good. Uh, he was doing a tier list of all the different levels that have been out for Mario Kart because they're finally done with releasing them all. And there's just so many. So I've been just trying to go through and do all the cups on 150 CC now. Just You're to, talking about Mario Kart 8, right? On the Switch? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I guess I should have specified. The only one anybody's playing. <laughs> so uh it was pretty good i think uh most of the ones that i've been going through are just like the new released ones uh because i have never really been like playing it online much i got it like a couple years ago and played it a little bit here and there but man it's just so good and i can't imagine how much more they could milk out of that game I mean, it has so much content in it now if you've got like the NSO pass for it. But I really think that the 
you know, people are talking the next Switch maybe launching with a Mario Kart or something because this one's been out for so long. But it's like, what other what other ideas could you have? Like, how could you make like more of a better Mario Kart than what this is now? It's kind of like the next Smash Bros. Like, how are you going to make another Smash Bros. after what Ultimate was? Like, there's just no way to scale up from there reasonably. Yeah, I think the only thing with Mario Kart's a little different because it's track focused, right? And racer focused. So you have to pull in X amount of racers, X amount of tracks. So, you know, can you like, where does the design come in to make better tracks, right? Maybe it comes down to like, almost like a Mario Kart maker, where the next that'd one you crazy. have, that'd be pretty cool. Like it'd be like little, uh, what is it? A little big planet. Uh, well, that race- Hot Wheels game. That has a track editor. Well, there's that. And then there is a game on the PlayStation 3. Um, I forget the name of it Dreams? offhand. Huh? Dreams? No, there's a PlayStation 3 game that's like a kart racer. That little big planet world kart racer where you make your mm. own tracks. So I forget offhand the name of it. Um, okay. But yeah, so there's that. And then uh, you obviously have Mario Maker as well. So, I mean, if you have some sort of kart racer maker type deal, I think that could actually go well. And then you would put in like pre-made tracks, which is obviously Mario Kart eight tracks. You just kind of bring it all over and make this all encompassing, like online community type deal. Like you had Mario maker. I think that'd be an option. And then smash bros, I could see a similar situation. I mean, smash bros has always had level creation or level design anyways. Um, So, I mean, where do you kind of go from there? I'm not sure. It's, and how many more like characters can you add to something like that? I really feel like Nintendo, in a way, shot themselves in the foot by the amount of characters that they have put into Smash Bros. to keep it relevant over the lifespan of the Switch. Whereas well, they've they been wrecking tournaments and stuff, too. Yeah, so like if they would have just kept things like, I don't know, like just certain characters, you know, like out and then like used them for a new Smash, that would make sense. But they like loaded everybody in except waluigi right um so so there's always waluigi they can add next time maybe it's waluigi smash brothers in the next you know game it's just all you can only play waluigi waluigi and goku yeah that's it those are the only two characters you could play i really wanted them to add lloyd into the game but they made like a me fighter costume for him yeah well i mean i just like you said i don't know where they go from here yeah and so, yeah, some Mario Kart this week. And then uh, I played a little bit of the backpack battles. I have way, way too many hours clocked on that game on Steam at this and, point. And no hours clocked on Pikmin. Yeah, I know. Pikmin's coming up. We've got one more month to finish the new game's resolution. Going to time this off perfectly, as always. You know, speaking of Steam, I've got to find like some games that you and I can like join together and play um you know obviously backpack battle is probably not my well it's not a co-player game Uh, i thought you were playing with somebody else uh i mean i have other people that i know that play it but i mean it's like asynchronous multiplayer so like you just do your thing and then you battle other people's pre-made things but you never really interact well i mean since you do play on steam though it might be interesting to find a game that like the two of us can jump in on and play a little bit yeah i just Um, i don't really my computer can't do a whole lot. That's fine. I don't so, play like heavy. Simple. Yeah. I mean, like I've been playing Factorio for a while. I got to get back into it. But like that's 
not a strenuous thing for your PC. Yeah. You know, like I, I think there might be some stuff out there that we could play together. So Just tons of PC games. Yeah. Cool. So this week we're going to talk about genre fatigue or like you were saying earlier, like you couldn't really find any games that were really tickling your fancy to purchase because you're just kind of like nothing stands out in the market for you right now. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, just everything just feel like there's nothing groundbreaking right now for me in what's in market. Like nothing that just I see and I go, that is a must have must play game. Now, obviously, you know, for me, one of my favorite genres is like the dark soul style games, right? Like I love mm-hmm. that genre. I'm seeking other games like Woe Long, for example, I'm going to go ahead and, and pick that up when I can. That's a game that I definitely want to play, right? Um, obviously, you have like Solstice and I think it's Timeja, I think is the other one. Uh, there's a number of games out there that are like that Soulsborne style mm-hmm. that I really like. Like that's just a game genre I really like. Okay, but are there like is every game out there a Soulsborne? Not really. There's a lot that try to be it, but they don't really hit the mark, right? One that I've noticed as of late that has really just kind of as I see them more, I'm like, mm. so you have roguelites, obviously, and roguelikes. Those are all over the place. It seems like every indie game coming out is one of those. And then Metroidvanias, every single game that I was looking, I'm like, oh, that's a cool cover. Like, that's a cool name. Let me check out what the game is like, right? Maybe there's something of interest here. Metroidvania. And they're mm-hmm. all the same thing. Like, you know, jump into this like heavy action packed Metroidvania and like go through scores of enemies. But like they're all the same description. They're all the same gameplay. There's some different types of mechanics each of them have. But at the end of the day, they are still a Metroidvania. And it seems like everybody's putting out a Metroidvania. Yeah. Like every week, it seems like there's a new one. And so like I remember a time when like they first started kind of kicking these out like, I don't know, five years ago, like we started seeing them kind of rise up more. And you had games like Salt and Sanctuary and... um you had a, what's to call it? Hollow Knight. Um, Hollow, yeah, yeah, that one. Uh, you had a number of those games coming out. It's like, oh yeah, this is really cool. Great gameplay, etc. Now it's like, and those games, by the way, when they first came out, were like high demand. Blasphemous being another one, like super high demand. Oh, they're like 80, 90 bucks. They're limited. There's not a whole lot of them being produced. Well, then you started getting into like the developers were pushing it out to different, you know, avenues. Now you got like 20, $30 versions of those games. And now people are looking for like the first prints type of deal, which is kind of dumb in my opinion. Um, so you've got that going on right now. But now it's like everybody's putting out these Metroidvanias. So it doesn't even feel special anymore. You know, it doesn't feel like there's a new game, new Metroidvanias, like high impact, super cool. Like they're just everywhere. Like every game, like I look and it's like Metroidvania, Metroidvania, action, whatever, Metroidvania, like everything. So as I was going through these game sales, Every time I had something that caught my eye, I'm like, okay, what is it? Oh, it's a Metroidvania. Oh, it's 32-bit style. Okay, what's this one? Oh, a Metroidvania. It's 32-bit style. Oh, this one. Oh, it's 16-bit style. Mm-hmm. And it's a Metroidvania. Like, it, you know, I love indie games, but put out more stuff like Tunic. Yeah, so like overall, Metroidvanias are just, that's the big one right now. It's really sticking out to me. Uh, there are other genres out there. There's tons of new things kind of hit, not new things, but tons of games hitting the market nowadays that, yeah, they're kind of all over the place. Like I said, roguelikes, road lights, all of that type of stuff. Uh, but Metroidvania is really the one that's just kind of like, please stop. 
Like I, well, I need a break from all of these hitting the market. And there's just, it's fatigue, right? There's just so many that are in the market. You don't know which one to pick up. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they all have very similar gameplay anyways. So like, are you truly missing out if you don't grab one particular, like, is there anything story driven in these games that is going to put one past the other? Maybe, but I also have to enjoy the gameplay. And if the gameplay is the same every single time, I just don't know that that's worth it for me versus when I do play things like the souls games, um, each of those, yeah, they do have different mechanics or different style, but they're very much like that. Some of them are more open app, like open world, you know, kind of run around and do your thing. Some are a little more landlocked. Um, so there's different aspects of that. And then of course the enemies are, there's always something different with those enemies. Yeah. Uh, you know, versus the roguelite or not roguelites, the Metroidvania is just all to me. They just all feel the same. Granted, my opinion could be the same that people feel about like Soulsborne games. So, I mean, without really playing them, it's hard to say, you know, what they are or are not doing that's like innovative and changing. And I feel like the soul genre kind of, you know, like Lives of P just came out. We both played like the demo for that. Right. And we did. um, That was pretty well received. People like some of the changes and some of the things that it does a little bit differently. You know, they're still tweaking that genre, but like metroidvania at this point is pretty like you said set in its ways in a lot of ways i mean the last one i played was probably the new metroid for switch that came out um what was that one i can't even remember the name of it right now but um i I like a good metroidvania but yeah i don't really get into them too often uh dread metroid dread um game genres that like i feel are particularly oversaturated right now i mean it's it's weird because some genres are super oversaturated and then some are kind of getting less saturated like i feel that the live service is really an easy target to you know pick on at this point because that whole market is really kind of crashing and uh recently uh, that hyenas game fully finished already did like beta tests and then they just canned it so they're making projects and just not even releasing them because they're tanking so hard and not getting that recurring revenue that's going to support those live service projects so I think that that's probably the easiest one to pick on. I mean, Call of Duty every year, that's another one that's kind of easy to yeah, pick on. But yeah. that's going to get a big change up here pretty soon now that like Microsoft is stepping in. I'm sure that like that release schedule is going to be altered moving forward a little bit. I know but Pokemon, they kind of come out and said the same thing. Yeah, but see, like games like Call of Duty, Pokemon, all of that. Like, I guess that's just a franchise. That's not yeah, a genre. Yeah, they like you know, and our first person shooters oversaturated, maybe. But like, you have not your, as much as they used to be. Yeah, they used to be really bad, but now they're not. And I mean, you have games like FIFA, Madden, you know, et cetera. It it has its like core set of gamers that show out for those games, and yeah, they're updated. You know once a year essentially it's the same exact thing copy paste but at the end of the day it's not like there's 10 maddens that are coming out every single year that are like 10 football games right there's not 
10 soccer games. There's not 10 hockey games or 10 tennis games or whatever. Yeah. It be. It's pretty consistent that it's like those franchises. And the reason for that's obviously there's contractual aspects of it where yeah. EA puts out those games and uh same thing for like baseball where Sony actually handles that uh piece of it. So yeah, I mean there's not as much free reign in something yeah. like that. First person shooters, yeah, you could have some free reign. There could be a number of them out there, but like we kind of know who the big players are for first person shooters and like what those games are. Or like the battle royales, what the big players are of that. Like there's not a ton of the there's there's a bunch well, out there. Were- you know yeah no no you're you're right there and i mean then like you look at other things like um i mean you're not super into this mario right now but it's not because you're tired of 2d platformers or that there's 100 2d platformers being released a year i guess it's just that this genre for like metroidvania i mean it's been proven to be really successful on an indie budget and it's really creative in a way that you can make like a whole encompassing world that loops around on each other. You know, you get things that later on help you go back and backtrack. So you're not having to create as big of a world because your world is kind of recurring and you have to explore around it over and over again. Um, I mean, a lot of people really like them too. So it is one of those things that I think that maybe, you know, new genres are something that are just needing to be more developed because that one's kind of like really set in stone and set in its ways at this point. I mean, the um, Vampire Survivor game that came out last year that I really liked, um, that's starting to get a whole bunch of like new clones. Like there's this new game that's coming out that's kind of like a combination of that and Hades, which is pretty neat. So taking that kind of roguelike progression from Hades with like, choosing different powers but also having that kind of like auto attack walk around avoid the mob kind of mentality and play style that you have in the other games so like i guess you know indie developers are just probably really latching and i mean not even just indie right like you're saying that these are like bigger releases too that you were looking through that were like on sales yeah i mean just in general like there's I wouldn't say they're big developers coming out. I think a majority of what I looked at was indie developers that have put out like these Metroidvanias. But these are like box release games. Yeah, like just any game, like, yeah, released games at big box stores and such. Like just everything that's hitting the shelves just feels, feels stale. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't think that one is one that my opinion is going to change on like the Mario game. Uh, I think I'm... right now kind of set in stone with my way of thinking on this and like what's kind of coming out like you were saying there's nothing there's nothing like genre defining right now or like game breaking that's coming out that is just really capturing my attention a game like take two for example um or it takes two sorry that we played recently and uh and obviously that i beat that to me was like different yeah. right that was a different take like you had to have this multiplayer component you had like this world where you were shrunken down and there was all these different elements and what you interacted with and the story was there. Um, and it just felt fresh, right? Yeah. And nothing out there to me feels like fresh. And if you look at oh. like the game of the year, like all the game of the year nominees this year, is there anything there that like feels like a brand new fresh take on something? I think maybe, maybe one. Boulder's Gate 3. Yeah, I mean, Boulder's Gate 3 is definitely um, a big one. Because, yeah, I mean, Marvel Spider-Man, that's good, but that's just 
it's spider-man again it's right? spider-man again resident evil 4 is resident evil again tears of the kingdom is tears of the is it's Zelda, Zelda again, again. alan wake 2 i mean most of these are sequels or like long-running things i mean it is Baldur's gate 3 but like they really kick that genre up a whole notch yeah and, and that, the, the vania to the metroid yeah exactly so like that's a genre you know that particular style of game is something that like we've seen but not to like it feel it definitely feels a lot more fresh and what i've seen right and what i've heard and there's a reason it's got high reviews um and as we kind of tie into one of our articles coming up um we'll kind of talk a little bit about that too right we're like a game that has a style of game that has been pretty consistent is seeing lackluster results long term right whereas something like boulder's gate did have a different take and is seeing a lot of success. So really, I guess all I'm asking for here is I would like to see, I'd like to see things brand new, innovative experiences, people. (laughs) Yeah. I want new gaming has been around for years and years and years and years. Metroidvanias have been around for years and years and years, and we need something fresh. Check out Hi-Fi Rush. I, well, I don't have an Xbox, but it is on PC, right? I'm pretty sure it's on PC and it's a Game Pass thing. So if you yeah. sign up for Game Pass PC, you'll get it. But yeah. that's a pretty innovative. I played some of that. It didn't really catch me a whole lot, um, but I think I just wasn't in the right like mode for it at the time. Yeah. But, I mean, it was fun and it is pretty looking and well, it is different. Maybe one for me to look at. Yeah. So this week, uh, when we take a look at our articles, we're going to be uh taking a look at the playstation portal if you purchased one of those would you consider that buying a console uh nintendo is getting some ao content uh but get your mind out of the gutter it's not anything like that and then finally we pull out our telescopes this week to see a falling star field i like that all right well first one is playstation portal sales will be tracked as a console uh this is tom henderson at insider gaming so this is more or less a leak um, of a, or I don't know if it's a leak or it's a tweet that got deleted. It's a tweet that got deleted, but basically saying that Sony upon request would like to see that the PlayStation portal is tracked as a physical console, meaning not saying it's tracking as PS5 sales, but tracking as, you know, a handheld basically, right? Um, Do they whereas, track how many controllers you sell? Well, exactly. And so like when I, when I really think about this is one of two things, right? Does this have unlocked potential that there could be some sort of handheld future with it? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know. Maybe it's got some sort of storage functionality where you could put games on it and play in non-Wi-Fi mode. I'm not sure. I haven't dug into it that much. No. And maybe that's why they're considering that. But like, or it's just Sony looking at, you know, Nintendo from a handheld perspective of like the Switch Lite. And saying, okay, well, this is doing pretty good. We want to go ahead and have this tracked as a console when realistically it's not. In my opinion, it's a peripheral. You know, it's just an added, it's like the bone controller, right? The only difference is you got an LCD screen and it can connect via Wi-Fi to your your PS5. Yeah, I, I think that this is really just a metrics thing. Like, I think if they can get this counted as console sales... Uh, because it's just kind of in its own class of device at this time. I mean, it's like, it reminds me of um, when the iPod Touch released alongside the iPhone. The iPod Touch was an iPhone that you couldn't do any of the phone parts with, and it was dumb for that reason. And this is like, you know, having a ROG Ally or a Steam Deck 
that can't play any games on it, it can just stream games to it. So I think they really want to just track these sales in a way that is comparable to what they might be able to project for a possible, you know, successor to the Vita in the future or some kind of handheld device from PlayStation that is standalone more so and capable because back when they were doing like the Vita and the PSP, we were still like in that age of, you know, you have a console release and then you have a Nintendo console release and then you have a handheld version and all three of these games are all completely different games by completely different studios. They may look and play different and have a different storyline, but they're all the same game on the cover, you know? So nowadays they wouldn't have to do that anymore. They wouldn't have to compromise. They could just release a low grade, you know, version of the same game and it would still look great on that screen. But I think that this is really just a way to say, Hey, look how many console sales that we've had so they can show that to their, you know, investors because their investors probably don't know what the hell this is in comparison to any of those other devices. So it's just going to show them good numbers that they can justify maybe splitting and making another handheld device that's more capable in the future. Yeah. So a couple of things. So I've heard, and I don't know if this is true. Like I said, I haven't dug into this thing too much because it, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like something I'm going to buy. Um, but I'd heard as long as you're on a Wi-Fi connection that you can act like, doesn't have to be your own that as long as you're on a Wi-Fi connection, you can access your games and play them. I don't know if that's correct. So, um, I mean, you could do that. Like I remember when I tried that with my Vita in the past, like you can have your PlayStation at home. And as long as you can get on a Wi-Fi and your home network can be on a Wi-Fi, like somehow you can stream it to where you are. But the thing is, it's really going to be based on how good that connection is and whether it's worthwhile to do. And from yeah. what I've heard, like you need to have like a really optimized setup for this to like really be effective. Yeah. So the other thing you had brought up is like analytics, like tracking it to determine the viability of like another handheld. I don't think they need that. I think you look at, the success of 3DS, you look at the success of a Switch Lite, you look at the success of a Switch in general, and you know that there's a demand of some sort for a handheld market. And this portal device, like, again, I haven't... failed in that market before. They have. And, but at the same time, this portal device could have been much more. Yeah, you can stream it via Wi-Fi, but like, open it up to where there's an option to play, I don't know, it's digital download of games and like you have access to it and there's a memory bank. You could download them onto the handheld. Way more than $200. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't know, man, like the way that memory is set up right now, like if you, if you could stream things to it, like if there's some sort of way to just stream digitally to it, but it doesn't have the processing power. That's true. Yeah. So it would need to be a bigger device and battery is an issue too. So like, it's just all starts compounding. So it's like, this is really, and I've heard people talk about this device and their use of it. You know, people that have bought it, YouTubers that I watch, I can see myself like in my house, if I have my PlayStation five downstairs, well, in my upstairs office here, I've got like an old little TV that doesn't have great picture and not really the best way to sit down and like serious game. 
unless I like move my chair over and pull up in front of that little TV, like I'd be way better off playing in front of my screen there. But if I just wanted to have something on the TV and lay down on my couch, but I wanted to play my PS5 game and I could just like have this like lightweight thing that doesn't have a giant battery in it and all this processing units that's going to make my arms really tired while I'm, you know, laying down playing it, you know, like that seems like not really such a bad setup. Like for $200, it's a more reasonable ask than, all right, here's uh you know a steam deck competitor from us or a switch competitor from us that's four hundred dollars and it has three hours of battery life i mean i get it at the same time though i'm just like i feel like they could have done more yeah but i mean it'll it we'll see we'll see if it goes from here into something more or not because like you said i think that they could have done more I just don't think they were ready to take that step, especially because they just launched like PSVR two, not terribly long ago. And I mean, that really still doesn't have any huge legs under it either. Yeah. I I hadn't heard anything positive and I I haven't heard anything in general on it, but I haven't heard anything like positive, right? Like, Oh, fantastic sales for PSVR two or anything. What games are they selling? I've seen several that are like VR two compatible, but I haven't seen anything. that's like only VR two or I've seen a couple, but not much. Um, and I kept going to that, you know, in general, I think some of this comes down to just really poor marketing on Sony's part. Yeah. I you mean, know? I don't see ads hardly ever in my life anymore, Same. but I definitely don't see any Sony ads unless it's I, like a game show. <laughs> I never see Sony ads. And I mean, I rarely see Nintendo ads as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, like they're not on the streaming services that I use. Mm-hmm. Like I've got streaming services that have commercials. I never see ads for those games. Not even things like Madden you know, or like MLB the show or anything like I just don't see them. So I, I wonder how much of this is laid out to like poor marketing and them trying to rely on existing fan bases to try and sell certain items versus like they really should be marketing this to a broader audience. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dive into Nintendo and them marketing to a broader audience. <laughs> so uh, I was going to make another joke, but I, I won't. Uh, so Nintendo is launching an adults only app for Switch Online in Japan, and this is Dominic uh, Bozjak at Gamer Rant. And so uh, this is basically, I mean, it sounds like when I first saw it, I was like, oh, Japan. <laughs> it's a clickbait. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing, Japan? Like, why, why isn't this over here? Like, I'm confused. What's happening? Yeah, all it is is basically because games like GoldenEye and Gemini Syndrome, and I guess you could say Conquers and stuff like that, because Force those games... Huh? Jeff Force Gemini, Force. yeah, not Gemini Syndrome. Gemini Syndrome is a great band, actually. <laughs> so, so listen to them if you've never heard them. They're actually pretty fantastic. Um, so yeah, Jeff Force Gemini. Uh, I don't know why I said Gemini Syndrome. I guess I just listened to them the other day. Mm-hmm. So basically, these games are rated Z, right? In um, in Japan, so mature rating here in the United States. Now, GoldenEye obviously and Jeff Force Gemini are not mature rated games in the United States, but they are in Japan, and so. To get around the sale, the lack of ability to sell these games or put them onto the online console, they've got an, an application uh, that is specifically adults only so that 18 plus players in Japan can play these games. So like GoldenEye just released, I think earlier this year or late last year, I don't remember offhand, uh, when it came on to Switch Online, it's now getting released in Japan as of the 30th of November, this will be happening. So now Japanese players will be able to play these titles 
uh, because of this new application. Yeah, I guess it really comes down to um, games that have shooting in it are heavily rated in Japan because they really appreciate the effect of gun violence. And then also, um, you know, their divisions between access have to be clearly delineated. So they can't just have these, you know, more mature rated games right there next to uh, just a game that, you know, any little old Timmy could pick up and play. Now, (laughs) I think it's kind of ridiculous that looking back in time now, those things that were controversial then, like while they still carry those same themes for those ratings that they would be rated on if they were released now in a more modern take. But man, just like the idea of (laughs) those being like mature games that should be separated just seems kind of far-fetched. Hey, you know, pun intended here, at least Japan is sticking to their guns. Yep. You know, and uh, that's, that's the way that they've been. And I mean, you can't really fault them for I mean, guess, uh, sticking to that. Yeah. Like, I guess like Conquerors isn't like any less crass now just because it's old. Oh, yeah. Even like that game is so. still. Yeah. That game is still mature rated. Itself, like just there's nothing about 007 GoldenEye that reads as like, oh, my God, this is extreme child could never handle this yeah it's like any of the like imagine like spy hunter right like the spy hunter on ps2 like is that mature rated i don't know but it's got gun violence you know it's a car shooting guns at other vehicles so no people died there's sentient cars in this world that's true transformers right it's you're just (laughs) defeating robots and dinosaurs and stuff like don't worry about all the missiles being launched out of his giant robot and Gundam, right? God forbid Gundam with laser beams and it's gun violence. <laughs> uh, but yeah, throwing golden eye and a little golden gun and all of a sudden it's the end of the world. Yeah. Uh, but I, I can appreciate a country sticking to like its morals that it has and, and ensuring, I would say, I, I hate to say safety, but ensuring the safety of a younger audience and not warping them. Right by produce by creating or allowing certain well, forms have you of content. Ever seen anime? True, <laughs> true. But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Like when it comes to Little Alchemist. Do you remember this? Do you remember the dog? Okay, that's a little different. That's a, that's that is human experimentation with genetics, and it's a hundred percent different. Uh, I get it. Like they're sticking to their morals in terms of gun violence, and that's where they're they're. That's where they've put their, they've drawn the line in the sand on that, right? Yeah. doesn't matter about panty vending machines and all that. They, they've they drawn their line in the sand on guns. Uh, but I, I can appreciate it. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting that that's just kind of the decision. But yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, not too much more to talk about that. Let's talk about uh, Starfield. So Starfield could be in trouble as player numbers have plummeted. And this is... Uh, Ravi Sinha at Gaming Bolt. And so, yeah, basically this game came out with like stellar reviews. I'm going to put some quotation marks on that uh, when it first came out and good player base. I mean, it was like 300 and some 300,000 plus players that were like on like each day, right? Active players each day. 
and that's plummeted. That's like 22,000 players now per day. And then reviews of this game have gone down as well to like a 5.6, I want to say, on Steam. And then it's like a 70% on like the actual Xbox Live reviews for this game. Uh, so Starfield in general, it's it, it was a critical success when it first came out. It has severely dropped recently from new players playing the game and obviously a lack thereof online. Uh, and actually, this article goes into kind of talking about other Bethesda games that have come out. So Fallout 4, for example, is seeing a consistent about 15,000 people online each day. Uh, that peaked at around 400-something thousand when it first came out. And then uh, Skyrim was about 300,000 or 225,000, I think, when it first came out. But that's actually seeing more day-to-day -day player activity online than that of Starfield. So when you start thinking about like long-term success of these games, some of the factors that you have to put in are, is the game good? Are players still buying it, right? That's one piece, right? But the other factor is, are people still actually playing it? And the answer right now is that given when it came out, the fact that Skyrim is 12 years old and they've got 25,000 people playing it, like more than Starfield, which just came out, what, three months ago, I think it was, mm -hmm. that's pretty drastic and the same thing yeah. with fallout 4 fallout 4 came out on ps4 and xbox one right and you still have 15,000 7,000 less players a day playing those titles right and it came out much longer you know much much further before um you know starfield so i would say early on unless something drastic changes like of course a new dlc we'll see how that kind of ticks things up starfield seems to be a failure right now yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the amount of people playing the older games, I saw somebody kind of take a look at it, and it already had a pretty high recurring player base still for, like, Skyrim. And then you could see some of those players leave away to go play Starfield and then stop playing Starfield and probably reverting back over to there now. So... I think that, you know, the amount of mods and stuff that come out and, you know, that community, especially for Bethesda games, is huge. And that's what gives games like Skyrim its super long legs to just keep running forever and ever on sales and recurring players because people can go back and experience that game so differently, like, than they ever could have back upon release. And that'll be the same for Starfield eventually. Yeah. So one thing I, I kind of was questioning, right, as read as I was reading this article earlier, is how much of this drop off is attributed to the fact that this came out on Game Pass and you as a gamer, like unless you went out and bought the game, like straight out bought it and now you are invested in it, 60 bucks, 70 bucks, whatever it is that you paid for it that's a game where you're like, I need to get my full value out of this because, you know, I paid X amount of money. Whereas, yeah, they had a ton of people playing it on day one in the first month, first two months, whatever it may be. And now we've seen just kind of plummet down. How much is that attributed to like people like yourself where you yourself, you played it 18 hours or 20 hours, whatever it may be. I think it was like 15 hours or something, but yeah, I kind of bounced off of it. Like I'm really not surprised that a lot of people have really come around on it because I certainly, you know, was not over the moon for it. But how much of that, though, is tied to the fact that you're paying a monthly subscription and you have access to all of these other games 
and you don't feel like you have to be invested in Starfield because well, I've never felt that way about well, it. Yeah, that's true. I'm not uh, going to play a bad game just because I already spent money on it. Yeah, but some people are inclined to move forward and play that, right? Like, or they will sell the game immediately, right? A physical game, they'll sell it, get rid of it. So there was a consistent player base for a while now, but I, I do question if because there's a subscription-based model where you can kind of just pick this game up, demo it essentially for a period of time, call it a day and then move on to the next thing and not beat it if that's what we're seeing, right? Or people played the individual campaign portion of it, finished, done, putting it down, nothing else beyond that. So I, I do think the subscription model is one of the main reasons why we're seeing such a dip in these active players versus things like Skyrim, which, you know, people have outside it's available to playstation users available obviously steam they've likely purchased this game they're invested in it or they just really enjoy skyrim um i, I just i think the subscription model is kind of screwing starfield in this aspect yeah and i think that this has got to be real disappointing back at bethesda hq i mean they didn't get the game of the year nominee you know the public is really starting to turn around i mean they've gone into mixed on steam their old games are outperforming their new games i mean there's really so much that bethesda was so proud of you know what they were putting out with this giant game and you know it was going to be pushing them in a whole new direction but they just really lost so much of what made their game special to me and probably to a lot of other people that I think that this is going to be, um, you know, a real look in the mirror kind of moment. And, you know, I don't know. I know that Todd Howard, I think, is going to stick around for at least the next, you know, whatever the next uh, Elder Scrolls game is going to be. But they really better make that super special because Fallout 4 was not a big hit for me. Fallout 76 was not a big hit for most people starfield has not been a big hit for most people like the last really really good thing they did was skyrim yeah and, and fallout uh, new vegas they didn't do new vegas oh yeah you're right they didn't yeah so i mean fallout 3 was a big new change to the fallout franchise and brought us into this kind of modern era but i mean it's been a long time that bethesda has been riding on the success of these franchises that they've established and just not putting out the best real games for them, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, we'll see what happens with the new elder scrolls when it does come out. I think we've heard that that one is not going to be multi-platform. And, and again, is that what's holding it's back? Is that what is holding this back? Right. We'll see in 2027 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. More like 2030. I bet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. So far, can we say that the acquisition of Bethesda has paid dividends? Doesn't seem like it so far. I mean, if they're counting the success of how many subscribers they got to Game Pass, because they did say it was the largest like subscription bump to that that they've had. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's their metric for success, then maybe. Well, I guess I would want to see more details on when they consider subscriptions, how many of those subscriptions are like first month is a dollar or is it a month to month subscription versus a pay in full subscription for the year? Right. So, I mean, if we're talking for the year, 
And yeah, I can see where that's super successful because now you've got people for 70, 120 bucks, whatever it may be. But now all of those people, yeah, you got that big bump. But when the next big game comes out, are you going to see as big of a bump? Yeah. You know, maybe not. How many of those people are going to fall off? How many of those people are doing the Disney Plus thing? We're like, well, they did release oh, a bunch of good games on Game Pass this month. Yeah. I mean, I get it. But like how many of those people are also you know, doing the Disney plus thing where it's like, Oh, a new season of whatever's come out. Let me subscribe for a day, you know, or a month, watch everything and then be done with it. Right. Like hmm. how much are you truly getting revenue wise from that? Like your, your subscriptions are going to fluctuate. And we've seen with streaming services, that's obviously been the case. And I, I don't think that Microsoft is necessarily safe from that. Yeah. Right? So we'll see. I think this is definitely going to be an interesting thing to, to keep an eye out for in the future. All right. Moving on to the inflation deflation segment. Uh, Tunic on the Switch. So this was developed by Isometric Games or Isometric Corp Games, sorry, uh, published by Finji. It was designed by Andrew Shouldice. I at first thought it said Soldice, and I'm like, dude, <laughs> it has the best last name ever. But Shouldice is still as cool. Um, it was released in September of 2022. And it is an action adventure game with a reception around the nine. Um, nine out of ten, that is. Yeah. So this is very much like old school Zelda. Yeah. Like it's, so it's great. You you wake up as a small fox on a beach, and then it's just find your way through the world, just like a classic, you know, old school Zelda. You've got literally nothing to guide you uh, except for these little guidebook pages that you pick up in your quest along the way um really it's a it's a crazy world with so much to explore and discover and you're you'd be so amazed at how much you know is really in front of you and what you can really do um but until you find out the secrets that the world has uh you'll keep surprising yourself as you progress and discover exactly what you were capable of the whole time. So for me, this was genre changing in what I played. You've got the old style Zelda game, right? But mixed in with kind of a top down Dark Souls style of gameplay in which you are consistently dodging enemies. Uh, you're trying to get in your strikes. You're trying to understand your patterns. Uh, which is, you know, similar to a lot of games, but it felt very Dark Souls-esque uh, in what we were playing. It is difficult at the very beginning when you're trying to beat things with a stick and you have giant hamsters or gerbils trying to swing at you with swords. Uh, so that, that to me was very cool. And then they have like this bonfire mechanic as well that I noticed where you've got, you know, you go up to this like essentially a fox statue and it turns day into night back into day and you take this long rest all creatures come back your health is fully there and you continue progressing through the story with all enemies kind of regenerated right so uh, for me in in what i experienced i love the mechanic of finding these pages it gives you something to kind of look forward to as you're playing um the world is so like it's a beautiful game i mean i love all the geometric shapes that kind of build mm. up the world I love the flow of the gameplay. The controls are very fluid to me and the music. I mean, it's just, it's great. Like the music on this game is fantastic. It really sets the tone. And then there are certain areas where you go into. So for example, if you go into like uh not a dungeon, but if you go into like a cave or anything along those lines, 
the music shuts off and you have all of the ambience of the actual cave, like the fire and the wind and things like that that are going for it. Um, it looks like the world has, is not like fresh, like as in you're the first person to step foot here uh, in this world. There's open treasure chests around. There's things that have occurred. Um, the enemies look like they're definitely on guard for something has been here prior. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really enjoying like being immersed in this overall experience in comparison to other games of this genre, um, this action adventure style top down. Uh, so I, I do think this is a little, this is definitely for me, game changer in, in what I'm experiencing. Yeah. This game is so, um, so incredible. I played it last year. I didn't finish it. I don't think, uh, but I got pretty far into it and it's just amazing at how it layers itself and lets itself, open up to you over time and for an experienced player kind of coming back to this i was able to use some things that i remembered from the first time and just messing around like one thing i feel like this game really encourages you to do is to mess around with the controls and like really try to get an idea of like what you can do because once you figure out how to do certain things you really discover like whole different routes that you could go in this game like there's a there's a way to get a sword that's not the traditional way to get a sword and you could go that direction and just kind of like start the game off that kind of much quicker in, in a certain sense um but yeah it's it's a beautiful game it's got so much that i like about you know self learning even though that's like a hard part of games for me like i could never go back and play like the original zelda game and just like try to light every bush on fire to find the secret things and stuff like that like those games are way too obscure for me but this one especially like collecting the pages of the guidebook just feels so good and you have the physical copy of it because it came with the the release that you got which i'm so jealous of but like that if you look through there that would like ruin half the stuff for you yeah i haven't messed with the guidebook at all um and what i was playing I, I just and we talked about that a while back like when i did decide hey i'm finally gonna play this game or mess around with it that i'm not gonna look at the guidebook i'm just gonna unlock the stuff and just kind of fully experience this world and i guess guidebook is wrong player manual player manual sure we'll go with that. that's the manual um but yeah, I, I think it's really cool. So, I mean, looking at the brass tax on this, it's a complete in box right now is running at 3022. It peaked at $42 uh, in September of this year. Um, it is trending down in price because it is a newer title. Uh, loose copy is 2872 uh, right now. It peaked at 3053 last or uh, earlier this year in October. And then that is holding in the current price. Uh, digital console, you can get this for $29.99. It's currently marked down to $20. Sorry, $29.99 normally. It's marked down to $20.99 until uh, December 4th on digital console. Uh, PC, it's $29.99 normally. It's marked down to $20.99 until uh, September 28th. So you got a day or so uh, to pick that up. And then right now, GameStop and Target have this for $20.99 for physical copies. Um, you know, my version I got is, uh, let's see if it says on the outside. It does not. Uh, but I got mine directly from Fangamer uh, when it came out. And it comes with all the little goodies and like a foil cover and, you know, slip cover and all that. So I was really happy with what I got. I think mine was like $45 for everything. Uh, but look, at $20.99 right now, 
in what I've experienced and what I hope to continue experiencing and what you've played so far, I think that this is, and given the current reviews, a nine out of 10 for this game, right? It is a little more game break, not game breaking, but it, it is game breaking, right? In terms of what we've seen in this genre of gameplay. Yeah. I think 2099 is a great price. Oh yeah. This is a steal. I mean, I would have picked this up if it wasn't like something that I just already had on game pass. Like I would love to have this for the switch as like portable game. Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's so great. I can't recommend this game enough. Definitely. Um, I, I would say this is one of those kind of games that, I mean, at a reasonable price, I'm not going to say at any price, but at a reasonable human price, you know, it would always be uh, deflated, I think. I think it just is such a, a valuable game to play through and get the experience of because it really has that, like, element of discovery and, and learning how to play games again that is just incredible, I think. Yeah. And, you know, normally a $30 price point, I think I would, of course, pay that again. If I hadn't picked this up, the version I have... I would absolutely pick this up for 30 bucks. I would absolutely pick it up at 20.99. Mhm. Yeah. Cool. All right, so deflated. Deflated. All right, so next episode um it's going to be one of our you know, we got to we're going to record in advance and probably do maybe a top 5 of something, maybe we'll do a you know, a starter kit showdown we haven't decided yet but we'll release that this next week and we'll then uh content yeah we'll get some new content in there and then uh in the future we'll be playing some uh what is it sonic spinball i think is what you want to play yeah i do want to play that sometime in the future hey why don't you guys leave us a comment let us know if there's anything in particular you would like us to do like top five list on or i know that we still have i mean we're working our way through the starter kit showdowns we're kind of starting to run low on on consoles here i think or at least ones that we could do at like some kind of a reasonable budget so uh let us know yeah next one is gonna be vectrix collecting on a budget how much can uh, you get for under a thousand dollars not much that's uh that's the hint right there um all right well this has been episode 162 of the game of players podcast my name is john i'm ryan and thanks for listening <laughs>